1: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. This is the Mark Boris Podcast. Uh, good morning all. Uh, what's great about this time of year is the sun comes up nice and early and you can get out and have a walk or a run or swim, whatever it is you want to do. There's daylight. That's awesome. Uh, three months ago, we, we were popping in here at 7 in the morning. It was just... Just coming up. Some's just come up. Now it's fully up, and everyone's running around the cross here full of coffee. So it's two weeks since we did our last podcast. Um, with the Reserve Bank met uh, last week, didn't do anything with interest rates. Um, interestingly enough, uh, there's been a lot of debate about property markets property, 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 property. There's been a lot of nervousness about share markets, volatility. You know, every time I get up in the morning, I see the Dow Jones up. The next day, it's down. The Australian market seems to follow. I mean, there's all sorts of dramas around the world creating instability. So Equity markets are volatile still, and nervousness surrounds equity markets. Um, Property markets, though, have been kicking hard pretty good in Australia, particularly in Sydney, Melbourne, uh, less so in Brisbane. Doing a tough in Perth, I know that. Um, Not so great in Adelaide. Doing reasonably well in Darwin, although coming off a high. So what I thought today we'd do is um, have a chat to two ladies – I've got to declare early, uh, I know them well. Uh, two ladies, uh, one of which is from my organisation, Fiona Nadea. She runs our St Mary's branch of Yellowbrick Road. Um, she's a wealth advisor and uh, obviously she does mortgages as well. And uh, welcome, Fiona.
0: Hi. Good morning, everyone.
1: And we've got uh, Anna Porter. Anna does not work for us, but uh, Anna has a close relationship with us in that she wrote a book called The... I love it. Tell me, what is it? Whistleblower. The Whistleblower. Now, this is about property. This is a whistleblower on what property advisors or property spruikers can do to you and how they can ruin your life. Equally, Anna, she wrote the book uh, and I wrote the preface or the forward for the book and it's a great book, good read. Um, Anna will tell us later where you can buy it from but um, and how much it is, but it's only been around for a couple of months. I recommend if you're looking at getting into the property market or you have a portfolio of properties that you should get the hold of this book and have a read of it. It's an easy read. It's uh, you know, It's not going to sort of... War and Peace, but at the same time, it's uh, well-informed, it's got good examples, and it's got good advice in it. Hi, Anna. Good morning. How you going? Right. Now, property is a, an interesting concept in Australia because Australians are heavily invested, either really invested, like have money in the property market, or alternatively are emotionally invested in property in that they want to get in the property market, and it's a big deal. And we deal with people at Yellow Brick Road all the time. Now, um, if you know, Fiona, you know what it's like. People are always coming to you and they want they actually don't know what to buy, do they?
0: They have no idea. They just want to get the foot get their foot in the door.
1: Yeah, and they and they don't have a clue. And then on the flip side of that, Anna, you hear these horror stories of people who are ill advised or alternatively not advised.
2: Every week we hear these horror stories. And they
1: make week. a mistake.
2: They do. They do. And when it's done right, it can be life changing. When it's done wrong, it can be a disaster.
1: So tell me about All right, well, first, Anna, why are you qualified? What what, what gives you the authority to make your persuasive argument about, as you do, about um, ill-informed property decisions in your book, The Whistleblower?
2: It's a really good question because there are a lot of people out there that are calling themselves experts that we would debate that. Um, so my background and my whole team's background is that we're all qualified property valuers. So we started our careers working for banks and, and institutional investors, looking at what markets performed and what markets underperformed. Uh, we also worked with a lot of mums and dads that had gotten bad property advice and it had gone horribly wrong and we could see those red flags a mile away but that was because we did this day in day out so you know we're all degree qualified valuers we've got decades of experience we bring that skill set to our clients now.
1: We, and what's your business called? Is it a Suburbanite.
2: Business? So we specialise in property investment.
1: Right. And you, you give advice around property investment? Certainly do. You're not selling property?
2: No, we do not have any um, salespeople in our team. We are working exclusively for investors and buyers and go out and source established property in the marketplace for them. Totally independent? Totally independent.
1: Okay. And why, what inspired you to write a book?
2: Well, it was exactly that that you sort of touched on is the spruikers out there. You know, we, we would see so many people come to us and, and especially through one of the portfolios I managed, which was the mortgage and possession portfolio for a number of the major lenders. Uh, we'd go to people's homes, you know, when their home's being repossessed, I'd go in with the sheriff sometimes and you'd see one pink room and one blue room and a few teddy bears left behind. And it was financial devastation, you know, right in front of you. And a lot of it came through bad investment advice. People that would go to someone that they thought was a trusted advisor and that trusted advisor was the investment firm that really the whole time were actually aligning with developers, only suggesting they get new and off the plan properties when really the investment firm is getting a forty dollars or $50,000 kickback from the developer. So, you've got to think, why is the developer going down that path? Well, they've usually oversupplied the market and can't move the stock or they're overpricing the properties. So, therefore, as the investor, it's never the right outcome. You're in an oversupplied market, which puts downward pressure on values, downward pressure on rent, or you're paying just too much for the property. So, let's just –
1: so, just – because of your experience, though, you sat down and decided to pen to paper. Yeah. Was it as simple as that?
2: I've just met too many people who've been caught out by how it. How long
1: ago did you do this? Like, how, how long ago did you actually sit down? How long did it take you to write the book?
2: <laughs> That's a great question. I thought it would take three months. I even told my husband it would take three months. A year of my life later, we had a book. <laughs> so and, it was a lot of work.
1: And uh, it's obviously selling well, and I, and I know the book. So... Why do you call it a whistleblower? um, Do you see yourself as a whistleblower or was it just taking the piss and tongue-in-cheek sort of thing?
2: Uh, Look, a little bit of both, to be honest. We are using this to try and um, get through to people like ASIC and and the powers that be to say you need to to bring about change, you need to regulate, because the sad thing is in our industry and the investment space is there really is no regulation. You know, financial planners, mortgage brokers, you guys would know, you've got compliance coming out of your your ears. Uh, Property investment experts can wake up one morning grab a business card, write property investment expert on it, and off they go. So part of it was to try and lobby those powers to say, time to stand up and pay attention, as well as putting it out there that there is an underbelly to the industry and someone needs to make people aware of it. So, do
1: you, so property... Oh, and I wasn't aware of this, but a, somebody can actually call themselves a property investment expert and not have to have be licensed under the ASIC environment.
2: This is, is correct. That
1: right? Wow, that's crazy. And... Uh, so they can put up their shingle, call themselves a property investment expert, hold a seminar, mm-hmm. and actually be selling the property, the developer mate down the road's uh, apartments off the plan.
2: Yep, and that's typically what we see in the industry.
1: And generally speaking, I mean, my experience in these things, in the past at least, is that um, <clears throat> these people buy these properties, they pay the 10% deposit, the property gets built, they come along to us, Yellowbrick Road, for a loan, and we do, go and do a valuation, never values up, yep. um, values less, and they're into all sorts of trouble. Um, is that sort of the experience you're seeing still?
2: 100%, 100%. And you'll notice as well, when you go see these firms, they are a one-stop shop. They look after the legal advice. They look after the lending. They try and do it all in-house because when the valuation comes in low, they want to cross securitize and move around money and juggle, juggle it all up so that the actual client often doesn't even see that or isn't aware of that. Um, so it's a really important step that we often say to people, get your own independent valuation if you're not 100% sure or if they won't disclose to you what's happened in that process.
1: Just so that... You know, we we have a balanced discussion here because someone might be listening, just a property developer might be listening to this, or a property in- investor expert.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I guess there are some good ones out there too. Um, you know, even though they don't have to be licensed, there'd be some good 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 advisors out there and good developers out there too, for that matter. Um, the the flip side of the argument is someone might say, "Well, Annie, you wrote the book to promote your business called Suburbia." Um, you know, it's. I mean, I've written books to promote my business, Yellow Regrow, too, so there's nothing wrong with that. But what would you say to somebody? Did you? Is this a passionate belief that you, it, notwithstanding Suburbia, you were written the book anyway?
2: Look, 100%, 100%. And, and when you read the book, it really doesn't reference the business much at all. For, for me, it wasn't about that. Um, you know, there are some good advisors out there, don't get me wrong. I tend to think they sit more in the fee-for-service model, though, rather than the kickback model. So um, I, I'm a big believer, I'm an ethical person, but if I'm working for you, Mark, but I'm getting paid 50 grand by someone else, am I really working for you? That's the question you always have to Notwithstanding you
1: disclose it, because, I mean, I, I was confronted with this recently. I, I don't think it even matters if the advisor says that, look, I'm getting a kickback from the developer, but I'm still going to charge you a fee. I don't think it matters. I mean, I think your point's very valid. I'm conflicted, whether I advise you of this or not. I'm Mm. conflicted. I mean, the worst situation where someone doesn't tell you that they're getting a kickback...
2: That's very That's a secret
1: commission, and that's illegal in this country, in this state. But even if they tell you about the commission, it's no longer a secret commission, it's an, an advised commission, they're conflicted, and they can't... I mean, if they... Would they sell you that property... If there was another one down the road um, where they weren't getting a commission, which one are they going to sell to you or tell you is the best one to buy?
2: And you guys also know in your role that you have to provide a number of solutions and look across the whole marketplace when giving financial advice and lending advice. So these guys are really offering one product, an off-the-plan product what about everything else that sits in that marketplace? And why aren't they offering that up? Because they can't get their fees in that space. So that worries me to no end. Um, I actually met, I was at a networking thing recently and I met an investment analyst is what he had on his business card. And I started digging and sort of saying, oh, so you work for, you know, talking about some of the big super funds or trying to sort of get out of him what his background was. And he said, no, 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 I'm, property investment firm and da-da-da. Anyway, after digging, 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 you know, have you done a degree in this, Have you studied that, I found out that the most property experience he'd had was working in the paint aisle at a local hardware shop. The what? Uh, the paint aisle, yep, I know. He'd done <gasps> some renovations and helped people. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And he decided to put investment analyst on his card. Now, I've done degrees in land economics, postgraduate degrees. I've helped TAFE develop a degree course in property investment and valuation and worked throughout TAFE as a part-time teacher in the valuation course. I can't even put investment analyst on my business card. Like, it's craziness.
1: Okay, that's a good point. Fiona, we we know at Yellow Brick Road, um, probably a big part of uh, our wealth profile or our wealth uh, philosophy or our client's wealth portfolio. Um, I mean, I, I guess, let's just put aside disaster stories, but I guess that there's plenty of good stories too where Property actually forms an integral part and an important part and a necessary part of portfolio. so how do you how do you look at it, for example, out there in our St Mary's office and, and your surrounds?
0: Well um, based at St. Mary's, we have a lot of um, a lot of new areas, a lot of new builds and we have ha- we have people that have lived in the area for 20, 30 years, and lots of mums and dads how they have a three hundred thousand dollar debt in their house, house they bought. Years ago has doubled in price now. So they're looking at using the equity in their home now for, well, maybe, well, of, of late I had um, a client who had two car loans and they were, they were paying twice as much as they needed to. So by refinancing them, restructuring their finances using the equity from their home, I saved them $1,500 a fortnight and that changed their life massively. So now they're going on holidays. I said, you promised me when you go on holidays, you're sending me a postcard.
1: But are they buying property?
0: No, well, this is using the equity from their own home, that yeah. the property value has gone up yeah, and now they're using the equity in their home to make themselves more financially comfortable and then they're looking at when the price, when they have more equity in their property again to leap into the investment market.
1: So, would they typically go and buy, let's say, what sort of property do they buy? Do they buy off the plan? I mean, who do they no. talk to about? How do they get advice as to where they should, what they should buy and where they should buy it?
0: Well, <clears throat> a lot of them like to stay local and they need to see people like Anna to have more confidence in where to buy and what to buy, but they go to real estate agents and some of them go to research, research houses to get advice and um, yeah. And what's a
1: re- research out. house? like? Who would that be?
0: Research houses are companies that, as Anna was saying before, they're mainly off the plan though, aren't they? They, they do new properties and, um, and they recommend areas and they say they have access to the property before it gets on the market.
1: Well, I reckon that's the worst place to go. Yeah. I don't know. I yeah, wouldn't. Exactly. I wouldn't do that. Yeah. I wouldn't want them to go there. I mean, like, is there anywhere they can go to get good advice? I mean, apart from the suburbia.
0: Good advice for property? Mm. They need to get... It's hard, actually, because they come to us. I can't give them property advice yeah, yeah. as such. Um, I can... Rec- well, financial planners can help them with their, with their wealth and where to invest and whether it be shares or property. But, but property they can't... Advice, you can't actually
1: say, we'll go and buy on no. the, in the street in St Mary's. So, how do Australians... Some advice as to where they should buy. If they're looking for advice, I mean, a lot of Australians think they know everything about property anyway.
2: They're made at the barbecue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, absolutely. Exactly.
1: So, well, but that's that's a big issue.
2: Yeah.
1: And no wonder there are people coming out of the woodwork saying, "I'm an investment analyst for property," or "I'm a property advice expert and mm. property investment expert," because they've seen they've seen an opportunity or a demand for them to run a little, make a little business, make some money. Um, There should be some place – I mean, you can't go along to the real estate agent because the real estate agent is always conflicted because Mm -hmm. they're selling their property. So um, they're sitting in the middle of the transaction. Uh, Are there – I don't know, are there property advisors? I mean, who are they? Who are these people?
2: Look, there's not a lot of options out there if you're not going through that model where it is the developer. Um, There are a few companies out there that are similar to us that are fee-for-service. So, um, you know, there are a handful of companies that are like Suburbanite. What do
1: you guys – what do you guys like say? Um, invest in a street, or I mean, mm-hmm. I come along and I say, look, I want to buy something in some areas. Yeah. Um, I've got you know one hundred thousand dollars cash, and I need to borrow three hundred. So I go to Fiona to get a loan approved. So Fiona then says to me, Mark, you now can um, uh, buy something for four hundred thousand because you have three hundred thousand um, dollars um, mortgage available, one hundred thousand dollars of cash or equity. Um, what? Where would you say I should buy?
2: Yeah.
1: you tell me where to buy? Is that how it works?
2: Yeah, we do. So we start off by doing a strategy first. And and to get to the strategy, we have to understand your goals. At Suburbanite, we are, and, and me personally, I'm a big believer, we don't buy property for the sake of collecting property. It's about achieving goals in life. So where do we want to be? Is it a retirement plan? Is it upgrading the family home or something else? From there, we develop a strategy. And the strategy is, what are we trying to achieve and what markets will help us achieve that? I'm not a hotspot mentality believer. You know, I don't want to put 50 clients into the one market because the right investment for you, Mark, might be the wrong investment for Fiona because she's got different goals, timelines and outcomes. So we look at what economies are growing. So really, at the end of the day, suburbs don't grow, economies grow. So what economies are growing and what stage of the cycle is the market at? Every market in Australia performs at different stages at different times. So we have to pinpoint what markets are performing, why, what's creating migration, employment, all those underpinning factors, and then we drill down into the suburbs because some suburbs will perform better inside those economies. But let's suburbs. say, okay, I
1: get it, but I, I, don't to, I don't want you to tell me that. I want you to tell me, I'm, sorry, I'm asking you, I want to invest in some areas, okay, because yep. I, when Australians are like this... I want to stay near my
0: family. they got a
1: view. they got a view, Okay. And what would you say to me? I mean, maybe it's not your thing. I mean, you don't advise people like this. But is there somebody who will say, Mark, so Mary's, there are streets that are doing better because they're closer to the schools, they're closer to the railway. I mean, is there like a set of criteria? Yeah,
2: there is a set of criteria, yeah. What
1: would you sort of say? Like what are the uh, minutiae criteria that, and I've got my views on it, but what are the minutiae criteria that, say, suburbanite? Suburbanite,
2: yeah. Would
1: uh, uh, advise someone to sort of tick off. I mean, there are there 20 yeah. things you need to tick off?
2: We've got, yeah, pages of things <clears throat> we need to tick off. So it's things like low vacancy rates, not just to ensure you're going to get your rental returns, but it's also there's a correlation between demand in the rental market and demand in the home market. There used to be low market. vacancy
1: rates in Mackay too, but now it's, you know, when the <laughs> army left or when, when all the mining did. <laughs> uh, yeah, mean, didn't On their own, these things are, mean nothing. Yeah. I mean, to me, low vacancy rate, you got it. What else?
2: We want to look for things like infrastructure, um, yeah, lifestyle opportunities. Explain
1: that to a uh, listener. infrastructure. Yeah. What are you talking about there?
2: look it's access to lifestyle schools cafes restaurants but sometimes amenities. amenities yes but at the same time people often say to us it has to have a train station or that market won't perform well i could list 20 markets that don't have train stations that have performed really well pindovor clues lately you know so you've got to look at you know what suits that demographic if it's a demographic where there's families that will drive the kids to the local school and they'd rather live in that area and forego the train station because they're some of the best schools in the country in that suburb, hey, we've got to take that into account, don't we? Go to Melbourne, they're using trams. Go to Brisbane, the bus network is what people love to use, more so than trains. So you've got to look at your demographic. You've got to say, what are the people that are living there want and how do I buy the property that caters so do you to tell that?
1: So do you tell the client this or does the client you say this is the question i'm asking you go and find out
2: no we do it all for them <coughs> typically yeah okay. and yep.
1: how would you charge the client
2: so we have a fee for service model which with different packages so our fees range between about 5000 and 15000 and so there's packages for all different levels i tend to think if you're spending half a million dollars on an investment property and you don't want to spend 5000 on advice you're crazy um, and then our 15000 is sort of a lot more all inclusive and they do much less of of the the heavy lifting um and from there, most of that is actually charged at the success of buying the property. So, there's a very small upfront fee. So, there are
1: people like Night, but just generally speaking, I mean, you, I don't know if you're out of St Mary's, but let's say someone's out of St Mary's, mm. out, out in Fiona's office, and Fiona's sort of got 10 clients who are all desperate to buy in um, St Mary's, but they don't really want to... You in the, where, Where's your office?
2: Our head office is based in Sutherland Shire, but okay. we cover all of Australia. We've got people everywhere.
1: Yeah, okay. But like, let's say she's got 10 and Rogan's mm-hmm. got 50. Cl- I mean, let's say we've got 1,000 people wanting the advice. I mean, you probably don't have 1,000 advisors. So Not well, today. No, <laughs> not today. But where would, other than suburb- suburbanite, where do people go? I mean, is there, is there can you go to the bank? Does the bank help you? Yeah, <laughs> probably not. No, so um, uh, financial planners probably shouldn't be helping you. Is that l- right, Fiona? They shouldn't be advising you where to buy a property. No. They no. should be advising property being part of portfolio, but they shouldn't be saying to you, and I think you should go and buy that property. Absolutely not. Yeah, because they don't know. Uh, we have
2: planners come to us as clients because they admit it's not their thing. I'm not yeah. going to go and tell them how to invest in the share market and set up my retirement, yeah. you know, and and they admit that. So, yeah, definitely. It's a very specialist skill set.
1: Well, so I guess investing in the share market is too. I, I, I think that uh, what's interesting here is uh, it seems to me there's a government there's a big opportunity here for yeah mm-hmm. for advisory network yep. to be established. and if it if the government doesn't sort of set up some rules now, um, the market will backfill it with these investment advisors and yep. spruikers, as yep. you as you talk about in your book, because that's what happens. Um, when a gap arises, the market works out really fast, yeah, and waterways finds its you know lowest level straight away. And unless you sort of, Build a channel for it, um, which governments have to do. It, it gets out of control, and people get ill-advised. I mean, I get people talking to me all the time about someone who told them to buy a property or whatever. And um, I remember people talking about Mackay uh, five or six years ago. Um, a neighbour of mine up, up in in the country, like um, he had, a, he's got a farm up there, and he was telling me about how much money he'd made in Mackay because of the, because of the. Mining boom or – I think it was a mining boom. It was. And he was buying houses, zero vacancy rate um, because the miners would come into Mackay, <coughs> excuse me, on a weekend or on their furlough period and then they would stay there for a weekend or five, six days and then they would take off and they all, when they came into town because Mackay was the closest town with an airport, they'd come into Mackay and, uh, they'd and spend all their money mm-hmm. but they would rent something for the whole year just to have somewhere to stay. And so not only was there no vacancy rates, people were paying ridiculous amounts of rents for houses. You know, the return on a property was 10% when normal returns somewhere less than 5%. Yields than less, less than 5%. And as a result of that, there's not enough houses in Mackay because, you know, Mackay is not a very big joint. Um, and so the developers got up there and they started building houses and they were selling them all off the plant so fast because, you know, the miners got all this money. The miners come to town and they buy uh, five houses and two jet skis and uh, a caravan and a... <laughs> camper van and four-wheel drives and quad bikes and everything else. Um, But then the mining boom stopped and Mm. Mackay's just gone, phew. Perth's gone that way. The whole state has gone that way um, off the back of the mining boom going. And uh, and you're right, uh, it just seems to be – my view is wherever there's a boom in the economy, there seems to be um, developers around that boom Mm. And there seems to be spruikers spruiking that demographic.
2: Yeah, yeah. And what you're saying before, and and I want to be clear, I'm not having a dig at developers here. So my closest friends are developers, and and they've got their role to do, which is provide housing. Yeah, they are. They are. (laughs) I won't sell their products. They know that. They won't even ask. Um their agenda's different to the investor's agenda. And you are saying before about, you know... Yeah, you're
1: right, because they actually believe, don't they? The developers actually, well, they're not out there building this thing because they think this is a piece of shit and I'm <laughs> going to try and sell it for the high price. <laughs> they
2: won't tell you that if they believe it anyway. <laughs> but
1: but, but they, don't, they actually don't believe it because, no, you know, they, they, they generally speaking think this is this boom in Mackay yeah. is going to go on forever.
2: Exactly. And and you know what? that They have an agenda to build it, sell it, not to necessarily provide you investment advice. That's not their role. and And they're clear about that. Um, the thing that, and you were saying before as well about, you know, firms that disclose that they get a fee from the developer, you, is that still a problem? And where I see the problem lying there is that they get about $50,000 typically. So, they usually get between 7 and 10% of the sale price. Do you know any developers that are paying 7 to 10% to real estate agents locally? I don't. They're paying about 2%. So, why is the developer giving away so much more money? Now, the developers I know don't give money away for nothing, it's because they've oversupplied the market or when... You know, you, you know, there's years from when they first say, I'm going to build in this area to actually getting out of the ground and having a finished product. The market can change on them. Suddenly, when they thought they had it pinned down, they've got oversupply. So they have to move the product. And that's a problem from the investor's side of things. You know, you'd never want to be in an oversupplied it, market. It's that's not just that It's
1: risk. part of the ecosystem too. I think that when they're on a high, when they're on a run, the ecosystem says, OK, we've got to roll these out. I'm the developer, Uh, get someone in who's a (laughs) spruker. he's going to hold a seminar. The (laughs) ecosystem is I build, bank lends me money to build, I put my equity in there, I build it, Spruker sells it, uh, consumer buys it, Um, you know, Yellow Big Road lends money to them Um, and so the process goes because the mining is never going to stop. And by the way, no-one thought the mining boom would stop. Everybody thought China's demand from China was going to continue. It was never going to stop and uh, therefore... China's demand for our product was always going to go on forever and ever and our mines are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Even our government believed it. Even the Reserve Bank believed it. Everyone believed it. Um, Because we all got invested in the effect of um, the mining boom and that part of the GDP, which was giving us growth, particularly during the uh, GFC period. I didn't think... I mean, maybe I'm a bit more cynical than us, but... I didn't think the mining boom would collapse like it did Mm. and I didn't therefore expect towns to collapse like they did. So what we're talking about here, guys, is risk. (laughs) Property as an asset class is a good asset class. Mm. Yes, Fiona?
0: It is a good asset class. If, if you have the, the relevant research, if you've done your research, that found, looked at the infrastructure, the employment, all of that stuff up first, you don't just go in blindly and buy anything. You need to do your research because it has to be an educated decision.
1: It's the same as you would do if you're doing buying stocks mm. or equities. So, property is a good asset class. What you're talking about, Anna, though, is how do you risk that asset class?
2: Definitely,
1: people tend to use financial planners to get advice about what shares they buy because they feel as though there is a lot of risk associated. Mm-hmm. People get less advice around property because they don't think there is that much risk because they think, well, it's, I can see it; it's bricks and mortar. I can mm-hmm. I know, and I understand. I am more comfortable, put it that way. But what you are saying, Andrew, is there is a lot of risk associated with it.
2: it. Certainly, is any investment inherently has risk? Any
1: asset class, yeah. yeah. Any Investment, any asset class has risk, but Australians tend to take the view that there is no risk. And equally, Australians are a little bit, don't quite know how to get access to the asset class. So Mm -hmm. the supply of the asset class is either coming through real estate agents or selling something that already exists, and you 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 thumb through the Wentworth Courier or one of the newspapers and you find out what's domain or realestate.com, you find out what's available for sale. Or another supply chain is property developers uh, uh, um, selling property through investment seminars. Which, which is another channel. Hmm. So if you're, I think what you're saying is, um, and I, I entirely agree if this is what you're saying, is that um, you're not, you've not. got to manage your risk if you're using the supply chain of the investment seminars and brokers, yep. and all that sort of stuff, but also you should have some sort of um, discipline about your decision-making, even if you're just going through realestate.com. 100%.
2: We have a list of suburbs in 2015, like the big property boom, right? Nothing went backwards in 2015. Well, I beg to differ. 1,101 suburbs in Australia sustained negative growth for 2015. And not just 1 or 2%, we're talking 10% and 20%, one as much as 46%. So there's some great news stories out there and people hear about that, but there is risk. You're 100% right there's risk.
1: So when I... Because I got friends in Australia who all they told me was about... uh, you know, it's a just in general nature, if there's a boom on and there's house prices or residential prices are going up at a rapid rate, faster than everywhere else in the country by region, um, what's what's going to happen is that, that means there's demand for the product. Mm. People will meet the demand. So, yep. developers will come in and meet the demand.
2: Yep.
1: And what I think listeners have got to understand is that the the lead time to fill the demand is not ten minutes, it's not two or three days, it's a couple of years because you've got Mm. to buy the land, you've got to get it planned, Mm. you've got to get it approved, and you've got to get it funded if you're the developer, then you've got to build it. Mm -hmm. It takes, say, two, three, four years. Let's say there's big demand in Perth all of a sudden. What happens is it all comes out of the ground at the same time, about three years past the demand starting, Mm -hmm. and... What you've got to look to in this in the future, you've got to say to yourself, well hang on, in three years' time when I've got to settle on this property, is that same demand that is here now, is it gonna be there in three years' time? Yeah. And and what's driving the demand now for property or, you know, people moving to the area. Um, which is why I like investing in Sydney, yeah. to be honest. And Sydney major cities
0: is uh, safe, they? Would you say?
1: There's jobs here. I mean like yeah. there's there's things going on. Like if if I'm in Mackay, first if someone's gonna invest in Mackay, the first question I would ask is what industries in Mackay? Yeah.
2: Well, let me t- what is, I mean,
1: what, What's going to sustain that place if, yeah. if, if the mining boom stops yeah. and all the travellers are coming there and spend all their day there on weekends? If that stops, what other industries are there? Yeah. A hospital industries? What, what's going on there that can actually sustain? Let That's me share useful. a
2: story with you about Mackay. You were sort of saying mm. about no one picked the mining boom was going to collapse. And I'm not saying we did, but because of our philosophy around investing, we didn't go into mining towns. So, um, 2014, a client came to us, a potential client. He was weighing up whether he worked with us or whether he went for an off-the-plan property in Mackay through an investment firm that did that style of model. He, he had no idea there was kickbacks involved, but he he liked the idea of buying in Mackay. We looked into it. All the red flags were there for us. You know, we believe there has to be layers to every area you invest, layers of employment, layers of industry, and that isn't in Mackay. The only two industries really that supported that market was agriculture and farming, Um, tourism and mining. Those are the three most volatile industries. So put them together. For us, that was a mixing pot for disaster. None of them had any longevity in them. So we said no to Mackay and and to similar industries. We've never invested in mining towns for that reason. Um, And what happened was he decided to come on board with us. We got him a property in Sydney. At the time, he could afford Sydney. Um, We got him a great property that he bought for $4.95. Two years later, it was valued for $650,000. So he was happy. We did a 12-month follow-up with him and told him how the Mackay market had performed in the first 12 months. His property had already gone up heaps. Mackay market had had 29% negative growth. So for him, that was not only avoiding the investment disaster, but getting into the right market at the right time to make significant growth and build wealth. He's bought a second property since then, so it can be right when you get it right. So
1: it's about timing. So I'm a listener to this, right? And I just listen. And I say, yeah, but hang on. Um, what would about what happened? What would ha- what would you have said to your client if uh, he had to bought a property in Sydney instead of buying the one in Mackay during the period when Mackay went up at uh, you know phenomenal increases compared to what Sydney was going? On? So let's say Sydney's mm-hmm. going eight percent per annum, Mackay was going up much mm-hmm. bigger than that. Um, yep. How do you deal with a client when they say, shit, I could have invested in Mackay. Mackay went up by 20%.
2: Mackay is what we call very boom and bust. So when we talk to clients... But you didn't know that at a
1: time. Let's say it's it's booming, right, and the, the the mining boom's going. But
2: we do know that because those markets that are based off tourism, mining, or any single industry, when it's driven by that force and not other forces, are boom and bust. So Gold Coast, boom and bust. So it's the fundamentals that create that growth that has that... So you show can... them a graph. You say, yeah.
1: "Listen, this is the this is the volatility of that particular marketplace." Yep. Don't. And our advice is, we don't think you should invest in volatility. Yep. And that, S- that speculative. And th- there's there are formulas around. There's a thing called the Sharpe ratio, and the Sharpe ratio is a ratio that gets applied to any asset class. It doesn't matter if it's shares or cash on deposit or property or whatever. And the Sharpe ratio um, says that um, the decision making as to when you invest is based on Volatility, which is a function of timing, so there's no point in investing in an asset class um, if you when which has has big booms and big mm-hmm. busts because it's okay if you're selling selling out of the boom time, but if you're still holding it and you have to sell it during the bust time, you're in trouble. Yeah. So the Sharpe ratio suggests to you that the better investments are those investments with less volatility because over time they're less risky. Yep. And the Sharpe ratio applies a volatility factor to all asset classes. Yep. So, what you're really saying is um, people should um, consider investing in asset classes in a geographical sense. So, in other words, geographical asset classes um, where there is less volatility.
2: Yep. And And usually, what I say to a client is if you want to be speculative and try and pick your timing very tightly, do it. We'll help you. But we're not here to pick your timing on that because we're not even that good in those volatile markets. So, how is your timing? If you want to get into other markets where there's less volatility, we can work with you and pick your ingoing strategy, exit strategies and timing. But in those markets, we're not giving you any guarantees.
1: So, yeah, so I guess what you're saying is if you're a speculator mm. and you want to get in, buy the property and yeah. get out...
2: Yep, and get um, prepared to take a loss if you get it wrong.
1: Yeah, um, then make sure you're buying it now and because the longer you're in, the, the longer you have to wait for the property to get finished and developed, mm. so if you're buying off the plan... The more risk of, of, of the volatility occurring,
0: yep.
1: um, which means that you're less likely to achieve your goal. Yep. If you're buying today and you can add some value in the next 12 months, either it's just market value or you're adding value mm. and you want to just flip it in a year's time, because so many people say to me, Oh, you know what I do? I go and buy the property, I declare it as my principal place of residence, I put it in your kitchen, bathroom. Whatever, inside, give it a lick of paint, fix the lawns, put some nice landscaping in there. I sell it and make two or three hundred thousand tax free because my mm-hmm. principal, Price of Residence, I do it in 12 months, 12 months in one day, whatever it is. <laughs> and uh, that's yep. not a bad strategy. Yeah. That works. Yeah. I mean, that that's not a portfolio approach, but, you know, and Fiona's sort of looking at me saying, Mark, what about portfolio approaches? But it's not one, it's not a bad way of investing in property markets. As long as you're in and out, and you avoid the volatility, if you can get in and out very, very fast, it requires in and out, bang, gone. It's a it's sort of a quick hit and a, and a real quick hit, and then get out of there. Otherwise, my view on property is you should look at it as a long-term investment, which means um, you've got to be able to borrow the money, I mean, and, and you've got to be able to uh, you've got to be able to afford the repayments. And these days, we do our assessments on 7.25%. What's our
0: Around 7, 7.25, 7. some up to 8 per cent actually. So I when
1: see. we're assessing someone's ability to service a debt, we don't look at it today's interest rates, we do it on a much higher rate, we do it at around 7 plus seven plus percent, which sort of allows us to say to the client, look, if you borrow the money from us, if the interest rates go up, which is the biggest risk in Australia at the moment, wages going down and interest rates going up is the biggest risk. It's great to say it's a good time to buy because um, interest rates are really, really low, but it also says that's the biggest risk time because there's a long way for interest rates to go up if they ever go up. Um, my view, they're not going to go up but like at this stage, but if they will go up eventually. So get someone to... When you do an assessment about your ability to repay a loan, do it on the basis that when you get the loan that you actually um, uh, assessed on, the, on, on assuming the interest rates are much higher, therefore you, you've got a safety valve put in there. There's a threshold in, embedded into your application and, and your ability to borrow that much money. And I think, um, and and by the way, I mean we we keep getting criticised. I'm not asked, but the whole lending industry gets criticised. I would say that um, lending today is more conservative, <clears throat> excuse me, in creditability than ever, ever before. Yeah. I mean, like, well, you can get borrow money at three and a half percent at the moment. Mm. We're assessing people at double that. Yeah, and there's a reason for it because we want to make sure that there's a good quality asset there. That for us, that's the loan we give they will last forever for the client. In other words, you know, like, for, for interest rates go by 100% is quite dramatic. Mm. Um, and wages, everyone's got to remember too, wages aren't increasing either. And rents really aren't increasing either. No. So no, none of those revenue sides are increasing. So the big risk is if the cost goes up, the interest rate cost goes up. So I think that's, uh, and, and to some extent, I think that's going to keep the lid on property price. So I really think property prices are stabilised now, to be honest with you. They're not falsely being pushed by mining booms. Um they're they're pretty stable. I mean other than in areas where there's no industry, like yeah. let's say the Gold Coast has typically suffered this all yeah. forever. Um if tourism falls off they're gone. They're dead. But generally speaking in the big cities, um, property prices have stabilized and the government's the APRA, the regulator and the Reserve Bank and the government have all worked hard to make sure we sort of semi-stabilise and we stabilise that through the lending process. Mm. That we're not lending as much Absolutely. money. Mm. We don't lend as much money as we ever yeah. lent before on any one property.
2: Yeah. Look, and there are still some markets that there's opportunity where they are going up. So, you know, Melbourne and Sydney have had exponential growth in the last couple of years. But, but if you think back to a time, there were times when the Melbourne and Sydney market in particular didn't really go up at all for six or seven or even eight years. You know, it sat in that, that plateaued stage of the cycle. So it's all about timing as well. You know, you say investing is a long term asset class, and, and you're correct.
1: Well, it should be if you it want That's the view you take when you buy. It doesn't yeah. mean you have to do that. But...
2: but I also think just hold it for 10 years and you'll be right is also lazy advice. My three year old can give. That advice. Mm. So you've got to sort of look at getting your timing right. People can get into the Sydney market and there is a real safety net. It's almost a foolproof kind of market. But then you could be buying it in the timing where, you know, right now we're getting towards that peak of the cycle. We typically see about a five to ten percent correction when we get through that peak. Five to ten percent when you've had 60 or 70% growth in the three years prior is really negligible, right? But then you go into that plateau stage where you say, well, do I want to hold? a high value, so you're spending, you know, seven, eight, nine hundred grand to get in, a high value asset with a low yield that's not going up in value for about six or seven years. You know, that seems a bit counterproductive to investing for capital growth. So, do you look at what markets are growing now? Get into those, and then come back to that Sydney market when the yields are a bit higher, when wages have increased, and it's a little bit more attainable, and we're about to kick into the next growth stage. Or
1: do you do it, Fiona said, and take the equity out, or borrow against the equity and go and buy into another market?
2: Exactly. And
1: and diversify your exactly. assets. I exactly. Mean, which is sort of what I think people should do. Yep. Don't sell. Because there's a lot of capital costs associated with mm-hmm. selling. There's capital gains tax and there's stamp duty and, and re-enter. It's <coughs> all that sort of stuff. So, um,
2: the Sydney market's built a lot of wealth for people. So it's, it's time to use that and say, maybe I'm not investing in Sydney for my next property, but Sydney's done good for me, whether it's an investment or your own home. How can I now use that to start to really build my wealth for the future?
1: And and typically, if, you know if I've got a million-dollar property now and I've only borrowed $300,000... I mean, like, you've got $700,000 equity. How much of that can I use as a deposit?
0: Well, you know, if... Um,
1: assuming, my wa- assuming my wages are okay, you know.
0: Okay, well, if your property's worth a, a million dollars, you'd want to go up to 80% and no more, so you can avoid paying the lender's mortgage insurance, which is the insurance the banks have against you in case you default on your loan. So you'd want to have a 20% deposit. So if it was a mil and you owed 800? Uh, I think I said uh, owed 200, yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, we can go up to 800000 So, you so, borrow um,
1: it's another... You could sort of take... Sort of theoretically, you could take another 600000 Yeah, out, even five hundred. dollars as, as, as long as your wages supported it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You, so, you, just because you have the equity <clears throat> in your home, it doesn't mean the banks are going to lend you the money. You need to have the income capacity to pay for that loan. And um, so, you need to access the equity in your own home to have the deposit for the new purchase, and then only when you purchase the other property can you use the income from the rent. Right. So to I only, top up...
1: Because you can't sort of say, oh, I'm going to buy another property, I'm going to have this income.
0: No, no. So for the de- you're going to access the equity in your own for the deposit, for the stamp duty, for the fees, yep. the government and solicitor fees, and you have to be able to support that with your own income. And then you get a second property <coughs> for the investment, and that's, as I said, where the rental income comes right, in. So, so you could actually purchase two investment properties as as with long, the equity that you had.
1: As long as your income supports it. Absolutely. So it comes back to that, equity plus income.
0: Yeah, and it used to be, they used to assess it only at the 4%, but now even the rental repayments, not, sorry, the rental, the, yeah, the repayments that you have for your investment property, they bump that up as well. So it's at 7% now. It didn't used to be. But last year from July, they changed all, with APRA, they changed all the rules with the investment policies and that slowed down the purchases of investments and properties and that's what stabilised the, the um, property prices in our area as well. And... Um, yeah,
1: so... There's less speculation because people borrow less money.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And less people
1: can borrow. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys, I'm going to have to wrap it here. Um, I went over time because I I, I, it was interesting, so I didn't want to stop. We're on a roll. We're probably going to edit some of this, but uh, thanks very much for coming in. Now, I just should say that Yellow Brick Road is holding seminars where these two lovely ladies are going to speak about their area of expertise, as well as Andrew Morello, who put his, wrote his book last year or this year, or he's put a Morello
0: book out. Morello Matrix.
1: Yeah. What is it called? The Morello Matrix? Yep. Only Andrew would call the Morella Matrix, but
0: uh,
1: <laughs> um, and Andrew works for us at Yellow Brick Road as well. By the way, and uh, we're holding these seminars in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane. If you want to find out when when they're on, um, get into the um, TMBS or the Maroora Show website, and we'll put up the dates when the, uh, the events are on and where they're on. And uh, if you want, book some tickets and come along and listen to every the three lady uh, the two ladies, Andrew and I'll be there. I'm host hosting it. I'll be there as well, and I'm um, looking forward to it. It's, it's a great topic. It's an important topic to be talked about and uh, there's it's, it's going to be some great advice in this, in this event. It's going to go for quite a few hours, so it's going to be well worthwhile. Thanks, ladies. Thank Thanks
2: you. for having us.
1: This has been the Mark Boris Podcast. You can follow Mark on Twitter, at
0: Mark Boris. And find out more at markboris.com.au.